one of these, blessed are, not blessed will be. Do you notice that? So all of this, the state of beautiful blessedness exists in the present tense. It's not in the future tense, and it's not in the past tense. It's designed to be right now. Now, I think that's super important because oftentimes we have this idea that the benefits of Christianity come in the future. God has blessing for your life right now, today. Pastor Daniel is going to show us through the Beatitudes how God's blessing looks differently than you might think, but it's still very real. The kingdom of God is all upside down from what we have come to expect in the world. The things we see as blessings often aren't, and the things we wish we could get rid of sometimes are. So if you're interested in living a beautiful and blessed life, stick around. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 5 as he continues his message, Beautiful Fruit. When you read this list, almost all the characteristics that are described here are not things that we would necessarily see as beautiful. Notice, poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, hunger and thirsting for righteousness, mercy, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecution. Maybe some of those you might grab. But what we learn right away is that the blessed life is beautiful because this is a declaration not of what we're supposed to do, but who we are. Like it's been said this way, I love this. They're called the be attitudes, not the do attitudes. You like that, huh? Write that down. You can tweet that out. It's real good. Your friends will be impressed. See, the Beatitudes are a declaration of in Christ who we are. And too many of us today in the world that we live in, we think who we are is what we do. And so it's about identity before action into the world. And the Beatitudes function in such a way to tell us who we already are if you are born again. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, this is who you are in Christ. Now, unfortunately for many of us, we're not living like this at all. But this is who we really are. And now, what's fascinating about this idea of this word blessed in the Greek word, it's makirios, which literally speaks of somebody who has been blessed by God. You know, the Greek adjective means to be fortunate or to be happy. Now, I think what's fascinating about that is the idea that some of your translations say, oh, how happy. But we don't like the word happy because happiness has been devalued by our culture to mean just feelings of well-being. Feelings of circumstantial joy. Right? And so the problem with the word happy and the way we use it is everyone wants to be happy, but happy is like a fleeting thought. Like, I'm happy, I'm not happy. So I traded my wife and I traded my kids and I get a new family. And, you know, and that's the way the culture works. And so happiness has been devalued. But the true happiness... It really comes from being blessed by God. It comes from being fortunate. Now, Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the Bible that he calls the message, he used the word lucky, which 
When I say that, many of you guys are like, I don't believe in luck because I believe in God. But the idea of being lucky means the idea of being fortunate. Like when you have luck, the idea is you got something that you didn't deserve and you feel lucky you got it. Like, I'm not recommending it, but if you were to go to the service station and you were to buy a lottery ticket, you get a quick pick, and if it comes out six numbers in a Powerball or whatever, if you win the lottery, you'd say, I'm lucky. It's something that you become for. Now, whether or not you're really lucky or not is a whole different discussion. And even bringing up lotto in church gets people nervous. Because some of you feel convicted because you're always scratching off instead of giving generously to other people. And other you think that that's like, I can't believe Fusco would even say that in church. So, you know, I'm going to use that as an example all day long, because if I can walk on a landmine, I'm going to do it, you know? <laughs> That's just my personality. But the idea of blessedness being a form of holy luck actually is very profound if you're willing to think about it. Because it actually, that lucky idea is actually exactly the meaning of the Greek word. It means not something that you've worked to receive. It's something that you've been given as a gift, not because you deserved it. There's something there for us. And so what you have to realize is, is that true happiness is not just enjoying circumstances. True happiness is realizing that you have been blessed by God, that God has bestowed a life upon you that was not something that you deserve, but he's chosen to give to you and you have received. And the true Beautiful life is one who is existing within this blessings. Now, what's interesting is that it speaks of delight. Now, what's also fascinating, notice it says in each one of these, blessed are, not blessed will be. Do you notice that? So all of this, the state of beautiful blessedness exists in the present tense. It's not in the future tense, and it's not in the past tense. It's designed to be right now. Now, I think that's super important because oftentimes we have this idea that the benefits of Christianity come in the future, and they do, but actually we're getting to live this in the present. You're blessed presently. So this is about not only the next life, but it's about this life as well. Now, also what I think is really fascinating about all of this, and you won't know it from the English language, there's different moods in the Greek verbs, Right? And so what's interesting, and remember I said this is not about what you do, it's about who you are. That's also further exemplified by the fact that in the Greek, if you guys were to pull out your Greek New Testament, I know all of you brought that to church today. Just so you know, I don't bring my Greek New Testament to church either. I just study it in my free time. But the idea is that in the mood, this is in the indicative mood, which literally means, see, oftentimes people teach the Beatitudes and they teach it as an imperative. This is a command of what you have to do. But the mood in the Greek is in the indicative, which literally means it's a statement of fact. That's how I say this is about who we are, not about this is what you have to do, right? And so this speaks about who we truly are in Christ. But what is also beautiful is that we constantly see in these Beatitudes this reality that although it's who we are, not what we do, we still have something that we have to do. So we call this a crossroads simply responding to Jesus for a reason. Because with what God has done, now all of us are responsible to live. Right? And so because of this blessed 
place that God has put us in Christ, now we have this responsibility to act a certain way. That's why James would say that faith without works is dead. See, faith apart from a way of living that has changed is not faith at all. It's just an idea that you hold in your mind. So God wants what we believe to be lived out. I say it this way, that what God is interested is theology with legs on it. Right? He wants to put feet on our faith. He wants us to live it out into the world in applied theology. See, what's amazing is that within the church, there's so much cognitive, theoretical theology that isn't getting lived out. So, like, what good is it for scholars to sit down and debate and argue about the love of God when they don't love God or love each other? Like, it's an adventure in missing the point. Right? It's like saying, I know my spouse because I read a book about them rather than holding their hand, sharing conversations with them. Right? So what God is interested in is a life that's changed, not just us having all the right thoughts. Now, I'm not saying we don't want to have the right thoughts. I'm saying that the right thoughts are not enough. Because you will know that somebody is truly born again by the way that they live, not because they can quote you every Bible verse. And what's amazing is, talk about beauty... I don't think God is impressed with, I know the Bible better than you, and I'm better than you, because it completely misses the Beatitudes, right? We want knowledge that we live out every single day, right? And so this is a statement of fact of who we are, but it's how we live. And I want you to notice this, because in the subsequent weeks, the Beatitudes is going to be one half of what we're going to be breaking open every week. So we're going to be looking at, blessed the poor in spirit. You know, so we're going to be taking each message and half of the message can be focused on the beatitude. But what's powerful here is I want you to notice, blessed are blank, for theirs is blank. Do you notice that? So what we really see here is that it's unconditionally that for those people who are this, this is what happens. Does that make sense? So who you are leads to some sort of an outcome, some sort of a reality. And I want you to make sure you get that because I think we live in a day and age where it's like, I will live godly if it gets me the outcome that I want. You know, I could follow Jesus and it gets me to heaven, but I'm really going to follow Caesar because it gets me rich, which is trying to serve two masters. But it's unequivocal that if you are this, then this is what happens, Right? And each one of these beatitudes, these statements of fact of who we are, each one of them has, this is who you are, and this is what it gets. This is what it gets produced in your life. And I want to make sure you realize that, because really what this speaks of, it speaks of life in God's kingdom. What does it mean? So we're going to be unpacking that together. Now, what I want you to do next is I want you to turn in your Bibles, turn to your left to Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 3. The second place that we're going to, or leg that we're going to put down, this center. It says this in Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. It says, and you just have to turn, you know, whatever. There's little ways in your Bible. If you go to the left, you hit the, the minor prophets, those 12 lesser prophets, and then you get to the major prophets, because they were majorly long-winded, and Isaiah is the most long-winded. I'm trying my best to be Isaiah at every turn. <laughs> just kidding. 
says this, Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, if you had your ears open when I read the Beatitudes, and then I read Isaiah 61, 1 to 3, you see all the overlap? Talks about those who are mourning, those who are poor, those who are brokenhearted, those who are in captivity, right? Those who are in prison. All these concepts keep coming up. And notice in the middle of verse 2 of Isaiah 61, it says, to comfort those who mourn and to console those who mourn, to give them what? Beauty for ashes, to restore something that is aesthetically pleasing to them in the midst of rubble. Now, the reason I bring this up is because Jesus quoted these verses in Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 4. Remember, he went into the synagogue and he took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he rolled it out and he found Isaiah 61 and he read it. And he read this and then he shut the scroll and all the eyes were fixed on him. And what did he say? He said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, why do I bring this up? Because what we realize is that beauty is a gift from Jesus. True beauty is a gift from Jesus. Before Jesus spoke these Beatitudes, we have it in Matthew 5. There's also another version of them in Luke's gospel. Before he did that, he quoted Isaiah 61, this beautiful passage. And so what you learn is that the beauty that truly pleases God, the beautiful life or a beautiful faith, that pleases God comes as a gift. It's not something that you do. It's something that you receive, which transforms who you are, which now leads you into a way of living. See, Jesus is saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because I have come to preach the good news to the poor. And then there's a whole set of outcomes that come from that. And so before we get any further, if you want a beautiful life, it's about putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And not just believing in Jesus one time when you say yes to Jesus, where you commit your life to him and you allow Jesus to forgive you and you identify your life in totality by surrendering your life to him so that his death and resurrection get applied to your life. But it's about following Jesus every day as well, walking with him. See, too many of us, it's, it's almost like the idea of like when you're born, like you're born, it's a great thing. But then if you never interact with your parents again, are you going to grow? Like you were born, but you need all this help to grow. And in the same way, Jesus, you put your faith and trust in him one time unto salvation, and then you follow him every single day so that you grow. Now, for some of you right now, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time. And I'm so excited that you're here. Because Jesus wants to give you the gift of himself, which will also lead to a life that is cultivated in his spirit that God would say is beautiful. And God's the only person that it really matters what he thinks about your life. 
Remember I told you everyone's got preferences for what they think is beautiful? The only person whose preferences matter is the Lord. The only person. Because one person says, this is great. Other person says, this is horrible. You're doing a great job. You're doing a terrible job. You're awesome. You're a lousy person. Right? And you can get literally fatigued from trying to please everybody. It's like, oh, this person likes it. This person doesn't like it. And I don't even know who I am anymore. All that matters is what does God say is pleasing to him. That's all that matters. All that other stuff, you take it for what it's worth. You take it for how far you can throw that person. And for most of us, can't throw them very far anyway. But what does God say? And when you realize that God's ideas of beauty are unique, but they lead to exactly where you want to be, what he wants for you, it changes everything. So it comes as a gift. Now, so for some of you, my prayer is that you'll say yes to Jesus today. But for others of you, you maybe you've already put your faith and trust in Jesus. But here's the question. Are you really following him? Like, really? Because what I've seen in my own life, I've been a follower of Jesus for two decades. For some of you, like, man, that's just no time. It's like, what I've seen is that it's real easy to be a Christian and not act like a Christian at all. Like, you hate who you hate, and you have the justification reasons why you do. You're kind of judgmental. You know gossip is a sin, but you do it anyway. You know what I mean? You don't live self-sacrificially in any way. I mean, I once heard it said that if you ever ask a Christian to do something, they say that they'll pray about it. That's their way of not doing anything. (laughs) How horrible is that? I mean, think about it. And let's be honest. How many of us have done that? He was like, hey, can you help me move? I'll pray about it. (laughs) But you got a truck. I know I got to pray about it, though. God might need me for something else that day. Like driving to the store to get some seven-layer dip for the Super Bowl. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. See, what goes on is that you can know it all, but you're not living self-sacrificially at all. And I'm here to tell you, if you're not living self-sacrificially at all, you're not following Jesus. You know why? Because at every single turn of the life of Jesus, he lives self-sacrificially. He wanted to go with his disciples and pour into them, but the crowds came and Jesus showed on up, right? He laid down his life. You watch the early church. The book of Acts was so powerful. Why? Because at every turn, they served. And other they didn't get time away, but when the needs were there, they were engaged. And it's unfortunate that we live in a day and age where you could be a follower of Jesus and not be involved in anything, anywhere, except your own little world that is the most important thing to you as opposed to God's kingdom. See, when we say things like, God, I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as in heaven, you're saying, I want your kingdom, not my kingdom. So if his kingdom is coming, our kingdom is going. If his will is coming, then our will has to be put on the side. But for me, especially in this generation, we see the church where I believe in Jesus, but it's not about his kingdom. It's about your kingdom. You got all the plans. And every time God's word violates your plans, you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'll go check out another church. And that's hard. But I'm here to tell you, if you follow Jesus, you know that your life will be beautiful in the eyes of God. And God's ways are different. And Jesus wants to give you this beauty as a gift. He came to preach so that this stuff happens. Now, moving from there, I want you to turn back to the New Testament. I want you to turn past Matthew's gospel to the book of Galatians chapter 5. 
So Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26. So Galatians is one of Paul's letters. If you know, you go past the gospel and the book of Acts, then you have Paul's letters. You have Romans, right? And you have First and Second Corinthians, and then the epistle to the Galatians. And of course, chapter 5 sits conveniently between chapters 4 and 6. And notice what it says in verse 16. Now again, I'm just giving you an overview of where we're going. And you can see how much fun we're going to have unpacking what beauty truly is in God's eyes. It says this, verse 16 of Galatians 5. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now I like to say it this way. When you walk in the Spirit, beauty grows as fruit. When you walk in the Spirit, beauty grows as fruit. Now, what you have in this text is the Apostle Paul is juxtaposing, setting at odds with one another. Who those of you like juxtapose? What's that? Setting at opposition to one another. Life in the flesh and in the spirit. Now, when he says in the flesh, he doesn't mean living in skin. Flesh is a way of living that is living in rebellion against God. There's God's way, and then there's a way that seems right to us. So you have flesh against the spirit. And what you learn is that if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? Because the flesh has passions against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and they are at odds with one another, and they're enmity with one another. But if you are in the spirit, you're not under the law. And then it says, and the works of the flesh are evident in these things. And there's a huge list of things. Now, what's amazing is, is almost nobody, if you read the list of the works of the flesh, nobody will say that those things are beautiful. Right? I mean, like, does anyone want to say that adultery is beautiful, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries? Anybody here want to say that those things are beautiful? Okay, so can I be honest with you guys? I'm surprised at you all. Because our culture values a lot of these things. Jesus is The blessed life is a beautiful life because it's a declaration of who we are. The Beatitudes are a declaration of who we are in Christ. 
Today, Pastor Daniel began opening up the Beatitudes by showing us what the word blessed truly means. Have you ever thought of it as holy luck before? God has bestowed a life on you that you don't deserve, but he gave it to you anyway. I would say that's pretty lucky. Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will dive into the first beatitude and the first fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The person who is poor in spirit acknowledges their spiritual bankruptcy. That means knowing that you bring nothing to your relationship with God, but He meets your poverty with His riches. What a beautiful thing. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Beautiful. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.